The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, our blood sugar is always a continuation of itself, of what we have done, what we're doing right now, and what we're going to do. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. And we're back, we're back, we're back, we're back for another episode of Graham. What's happening? I'm slightly out of breath, and I don't know why. I always kind of get out of breath when I'm trying to psych myself up to match the energy of the intro to the podcast. I'm so happy that we found that instrumental. Dum, 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 How did we get that again? Honest to God, it was. I was looking at an instrumental website, and it was probably one of the first three that... I came across and I go, this sounds perfect. And I forward it on to you and you go, I love it. And, just works, <laughs> and it works perfect. Yeah. And it's funny. I'm starting another podcast now um, with Nathan. I do the radio show with, and we're trying to find an intro and just nothing is clicking. So the fact that we found this mm. one so quickly and then with the other, the new podcast, I'm like, nothing is just catching my ear. It's very frustrating when this one was so easy. Do you think we'll ever change the intro? I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. Don't. What's this? What did they say? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> How's the week been, Graham? My week has been fantastic. You nearly witnessed a catastrophe there. I, know. I nearly had to be rushed to A&E with... No, what was going on? Third degree burns. I couldn't <laughs> figure out if my microphone was connected to the laptop and I was messing around with the USBs and all the other cables that are around my laptop and keyboard here and I knocked over my coffee and I never have a coffee when we're recording because usually we record around lunchtime and I have a coffee around three or four and we record it's 10 to four now on Valentine's Day happy Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. and uh, yeah I spilt it and it went all over my chair on my leg and I'm wearing shorts as well and then just missed my keyboard and my laptop is on a laptop stand so it wasn't too bad. I was more upset that I had to go downstairs and refill my coffee because I was looking forward <laughs> to my coffee all. You got away time. with not ruining your laptop mm. and not getting third degree burns. Yeah. So it's a lucky day. It's lucky Valentine's Day. My luck is in. So Owen, how have you been? Let me know. How's your week? My week's been good. I've, I'm have i always trying to think, what 
is something that happened to me personally throughout the week that I can share with the listeners. And to be honest, it wasn't anything overly exciting this week. But I saw an interesting video, and I think it was on the like Instagram Reels or one of those things during the week. And I found it very interesting and related it to diabetes management, which I do with <laughs> the vast majority of things that I hear. Because so much of your diabetic life can be similar to just normal life things. But basically the video was this person explaining how somebody was considering doing a four-year course. But then as they were thinking about it, they became more apprehensive about doing the course because they said, I'm not going to be finished the course until I'm 32 years old. And then the point of the video was like, well, whether or not you do the course, you're still going to be 32. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, yeah, like unbelievable point, because that time is going to pass regardless of what we do or what we don't do with that time. And then I related it to diabetes management and fitness and health. And I was thinking a lot of the time we can be so, I suppose, not concerned, but we, we can be very apprehensive about starting a new routine or habit or fitness program or journey or whatever it might be, because we think of how daunting and overwhelming it might be in terms of the time it might take. It's like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to start going to the gym because it takes a long time to build muscle or I don't want to start consistently exercising because it takes time to lose the fat that I want to lose. And then I was like, obviously this was all just going on in my own head and I was thinking about it. And then I was like, well, whether or not you build that muscle or whether or not you lose that fat or whether or not you get in a more beneficial routine for your health overall and your diabetes management, the time it takes you to do it is still going to pass anyway. Mm. So it's like, if you are thinking, oh, I'm too big right now, why would I bother losing weight? Or I'm too skinny right now, why would I bother trying to build muscle? Yes, it takes time. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's difficult at times and frustrating at times. But whether you do something to benefit your health or not, the time is still going to pass. And you can relate that then to diabetes specifically. Why not take action right now, today, with something that you know is going to benefit your health in that six months, 12 months, two years, five years, whatever it might be. Because despite what you do or don't do, you're still going to be 32 years old. I love that. I really like that. I think I explained that well enough. You did. And I'll give you a kind of a, an example that's close to my own life where four years ago, actually no, five years ago around this time, my girlfriend Claire was 25 and she was considering going back to college to study medicine. And you know what medicine, it's a massive mm. commitment, a lot of work, and you basically have to put your life on hold for four to five years. And it was a big discussion at the time. And she eventually said, you know what? I'm not really that happy in the job. I mean, now I'm going to do it. It is now five years later, exactly to the month nearly, and she's finished in three months. And honestly, 
the quickest four or five years has ever passed. You wouldn't like, it was like a blink if you look back and mm. think about our discussion at the time. So time does pass. And do you know what? Time passes pretty quickly as well. So if you're thinking four or five years, that's so long away. Oh my God. It's not. It's not at all. Scary, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so if it's going to make yeah. you happy, forget about the time it's taken. As long as you'll be happy eventually. Yeah. And the process. It's all about the process as well. Enjoying that process. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we get into some questions. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go. Let's get into the episode. Uh, we're going to take some from your Instagram, Owen. At Insulon. My God, if you don't follow Owen, give him a follow. That's a sin. And last night you put on your Instagram, put a little question box up and anything I can help with diabetes slash fitness wise. And we have a good few questions here. So let's just get straight into it. Uh, One question surrounded cafeteria eating, nothing else, but I think you get the gist of maybe (laughs) this person's in high school and they maybe don't have that many options during lunchtime. What's your opinion on that, Owen? A big, big, big part of how tricky bloods can be to manage is when we don't essentially have control over the food that we're eating, i.e. we don't make it ourselves, we don't carb count, we don't know when it's going to come out, so we don't know if we can pre-bolus. The two things that essentially are the keys to managing our bloods around our food. So we're stepping into new territory with takeaway food, with restaurant food, with cafeteria food. And from my experience... What I always try and like to do if I'm, let's say, eating out or at a cafeteria or a restaurant, I try to eat vegetables first. That's the first thing that I do because the high fiber in the food and the vegetables can help reduce the spike and the rate of the spike of the food that we eat. That's why fiber is essentially like a superpower when it comes to managing blood. I remember you saying that and I was shocked when you were talking about the vegetables. And how important they are and yeah. why you eat them first. Just really quickly, give us another uh, kind of more of an in-depth explanation of that because I found that fascinating at the time and it's just escaped me exactly why vegetables are so important. Yeah, so any food that's, that's high in fiber, fiber in itself will work wonders for your bloods. Basically, it just helps reduce the rate of the spike that you see from food itself. So if I was to sit down and eat a bowl of pasta by itself. My blood sugar is a lot more inclined to spike higher and faster from just that bowl of pasta compared to, let's say I had a small plate of broccoli before the pasta. So the fiber in itself can help reduce that spike. So we're told, <laughs> we're told from a very young age to eat fruits and vegetables. Eat fruits and vegetables. They're very good for you. Same with fruit. Not to the same extent as fruit because there's a lot more carbohydrate in itself okay. with fruit. So the fruit itself might spike you, but vegetables are super low in carbohydrate. So I would be very surprised if vegetables, unless it's like a potato or something, would spike your blood sugar. And is that why I always see asparagus on your plate? Absolutely love asparagus. Yeah, Aspar- yeah. Asparagus, my one of my favorite meals. I know we're kind of going off topic here. <laughs> one of my favorite meals is just asparagus and salmon. Yeah. Fried on a pan, drenched in lemon juice. Oh, so simple, but amazing. Does that fill you up? Or would you have rice as well with it? Um, it would depend. If I was eating, 
if I was eating that meal closer to bed, I would try and hold back on the rice because I like to reduce the carbs that I eat closer to bed to help benefit my overnight bloods. But the high protein, fiber, fat from the salmon and the asparagus. Oh, it's just amazing. Might make that for dinner tonight. <laughs> I must get into asparagus. I never get into asparagus. Yeah. Anyway, look, I haven't really offered much help to the person who asked the question yet. Cafeteria so, eating. Yeah. Right. So I'll give the example of if I was out at a restaurant. So I pick the food that I want. If I'm at a restaurant, I'm likely going to pick something that I want to eat because that's the purpose of going to a restaurant. But I also want to do what I can to make my bloods behave the way that I want them to behave. So like I said, focusing on vegetables, getting them in, but then also understanding that from my experience, anytime I've gone to a restaurant, I've required more insulin than I thought I needed. So if a meal arrives at my, at my, at my table and I instinctively have that thought of, right, I need five units. As a diabetic, you almost instantly make that calculation in your head based on your previous experience. Now, I know that from my experience going to a restaurant, I've required more insulin than I initially thought I did. Because chances are, if you're in a restaurant, there's going to be more sugar, there's going to be more carbohydrates, there's going to be more fat in what you're eating. That's why it tastes so good. So what I do is, and you could refer this back to the cafeteria, if I get something in front of me that I'm going to eat and I have that instinctive thought of, right, five units, I will add 10, 20, maybe even 30% additional insulin onto that to counteract what I call like the hidden ingredients from restaurant or takeaway food. Because even if you're eating something like a salad, again, from my experience, the salad dressing can have a lot more in it than you would anticipate it having. Having So your bloods would spike the other end. So I have that initial thought of, this is what I need, insulin requirements, but then also add on an additional amount. But with that additional amount, what I typically do is take it after I finish the meal because chances are it's going to be higher in fat, which will likely lead to a more delayed spike in your bloods. So that additional dose that I'm talking about could be 10, 20, 30%. I take after the meal to counteract that spike. Let's move on. I like this one from Emily. She says, how accurate is the Dexcom? I'm transitioning to it soon and I'm nervous about it. Ooh. Good question. I think we actually did a, an episode on this, didn't we? Because yeah. I think it was Alan Edwards that emailed in about the discrepancy between Dexcom and finger pricks. So we've spoken about it a, a good few times on this podcast. CGMs themselves are never going to be as accurate as a blood glucose monitor. So when I check my bloods with a blood glucose monitor, that's actually the blood. Whereas with a CGM, it's in interstitial fluid, which is basically between your skin and your blood. So it's not 100% accurate. That's why it's kind of playing catch up every now and then too, as well as the fact that it's not like a live reading. But again, from my experience, like I love my Dexcom 
and I've used it now for about two years. I kind of be lost. <laughs> I kind of be lost without it because I've I've gotten so used to using it now. But I always keep in mind the fact that it's never gonna be one hundred percent accurate. So if I have any dodgy readings, if I feel like it's telling me I'm high when I don't feel high, or it's telling me I'm low when I don't feel low, I will always be sure to check with my finger prick to double double down on what that number is. And strangely enough, during the week, I had to rip off a sensor like five days into its 10-day period because it just kept telling me I was low. And I, was, I think I was sitting down watching TV one of the nights and my low alarms kept going off. And I was like, I am definitely not low. And it got to like capital L-O-W, low, rather than just a low reading. And yeah. if it says low, that means you're like below two. It's shouting at you. Yeah. And I was like, there's yeah. no way I'm low because I felt perfect. So I went, got my blood glucose monitor checked and I was like 4.5. So it's quite perfect. So that's a perfect example of if you are too reliant on your CGM, you can treat lows that aren't actually low or more dangerously, you can treat highs that aren't actually high. So if, you're, if your CGM is telling you you're high, but you're actually in range, but you take that as, as the gospel and you, you treat that high, which is essentially an imaginary high, you're risking plummeting which is not what you want. So if in doubt, always finger prick, but going back to the question, how accurate is it? I'm happy and confident with how accurate it is 90% of the time. I love my CGM. And if you're nervous about transitioning, I wouldn't be nervous. I'd be excited because you're going to learn a whole lot more about your bloods. It's going to give you a lot more confidence with the alarms. and it'll just kind of open your eyes to what's going on over the 24 hour period rather than that snapshot in time with a finger prick. If you want to listen to Owen go more in depth about CGM, episode number 71 of the Insulone podcast, getting the most out of your CGM, you'll find 41 minutes full of great CGM tips in there. Hopefully that helped Emily. Moving on to, let's go to Evie. How to stay accountable to working out, especially with a busy schedule? Good question. But with something like that, I completely understand how difficult it can be sometimes to fit in exercise to your schedule. And particularly if you have a noticeably busy schedule and you feel like, oh, I don't really have time. Before you make your schedule, I would be putting that in. Again, this is from my own perspective, but for me, it's not just about working out or going to the gym or going for a walk. It's what you gain from that. And people in general will gain a lot from exercising, but more specifically, if you're a type one diabetic, you're going to gain a lot more. So I know that if I make movement in some way a non-negotiable to my day, I know it's going to get done. <clears throat> there's a bit of a voice crack haven't done one in a while there you go good to have it back good to have it back um, <laughs> so if you have a very busy schedule 
don't put pressure on yourself to believe that you have to go to the gym for an hour or two hours. It could be a some it could be something as simple as a 15 or 20 minute walk. And I don't care what anybody does, what your job is or how busy your life is, you have 15 minutes to go for a walk. That's just a fact. And if you're telling yourself that you don't, you're lying to yourself. You have 15 <laughs> minutes to to go for a walk. And sometimes I challenge my clients on this and, and I'll say, if they say, oh, I didn't have time to get steps in this week or I didn't have time to get steps in today or whatever it is, I will say, well, let's look at your screen time. Oh, I get so awkward. <laughs> but that comes from a good place. I know, you know? No, I know, I know. Of but, course. And it's like... But it's, it's, but it's so true because yeah. you probably watched... 40 minute episode on Netflix that evening. 100%. Yeah. And with these kind of things, it will always come down to what you prioritize. And, and that's why I said it to a few people where, look, I don't expect everyone to get all the steps in every day or all the steps in each week. But if you're way down and you're feeling the impact on your sleep, you're feeling the impact on your energy, you're feeling the impact on your your bloods or your, your mood. Did I say mood already? No, no mood is very Mood important. as well. Yeah. I'll say, let's look at your screen time because you have 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour to go for a walk. You just have that time. Mm. And I think we we can get lost on our phone these days because it's so easy to, which I'd say the average time people spend on their phones, probably including myself, I'm not saying I'm guilt free here. It's probably a good few hours a day. Yeah, definitely. So if you feel you have a super, super busy schedule, remind yourself of the benefit of that workout or remind yourself of the benefit of that walk because something as simple as a 10 15 20 minute walk or a 20 minute bodyweight workout at home is almost invaluable on your mood your energy your sleep your bloods it just helps clear the head so i would try and make it into one of the priorities for your day for the week and try and have it as a non-negotiable to your day, whether that be an hour in the gym, whether that be a 10-minute walk, some sort of movement you will always thank yourself for. I've just uh, checked my <clears throat> screen time for today. What, what do you it? think? Well, at 10 past four in the day, I've been up since half five. So what do you think would be acceptable? Not acceptable, but what do you think? <laughs> what I think yours actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, two hours? Bang on, two hours and seven minutes. Boom. I spent 51 minutes on WhatsApp, 32 on Twitter, but I say 32 on Twitter is for work. So I say. Yeah. I spent yeah. 10 minutes in my notepad. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, and 33 minutes on others. My big one is I'm trying to stay off TikTok. That's the one I do not want to be on. It's TikTok because you get game. lost oh. in TikTok. But see, that's lost. what those apps want as well. Yeah. Funny thing about TikTok is because um, I've been kind of monitoring it and I'm trying to put up a bit more content on it these days. And when you go on it, it actually makes it a little bit harder for you to get out of it. I don't know, it might be different on an iPhone, but on mine anyway. So I'll be scrolling and then I will usually swipe from right to left to get out of an app. But when I will swipe right to left on TikTok, it will bring me back to the top of the page. I have to swipe twice to get out of it. So it's very clever. So I'll swipe to get out. I'll end up back on a different video and I'm, I might stay there. And if I scroll again, I have to swipe twice to get out. It's very clever. Like they don't want you to leave and that's, no, that's their game. Not. It's but a drug. What was that? Um, 
what was that documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma? Oh. And they go into detail about how they're specifically designed to yeah. keep you in there as long as possible. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I think even on Instagram, if you spend even a few seconds longer on a certain type of post, the algorithm will like update that automatically and kind of throw those into your feed, similar sort of posts so that you're more inclined to stay on them for longer. Yeah. Not mad. Yeah. It's very clever. Very, very clever. Which are designed by the same type of people who, I don't even know what they like engineers or whatever, who design casinos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's places where people gamble like nuts. Because it's that short burst of consistent dopamine to keep you in there. The one thing I found really interesting, I'm going to WhatsApp, uh, not WhatsApp, Instagram now. So if you go into Instagram and you pull down to, you pull down to refresh. So you go and you pull down to refresh. It gives you the little circle. So, you know, the little kind of loading, loading circle. circle. Yeah. yeah. And it gives you that as you're kind of anticipating what's to come, what's to come, what's to come. That's supposed to be a little trick to kind of get you excited about the next post. Oh. And I remember they had a part of it in, um, in that social dilemma. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, we're digressing here slightly. We apologize, people. <laughs> we're here for diabetes, not social media. Uh, let's go. Oh, this is diabetes. You love this one. Any tips for Don Phenomenon? Oh, Have struggled with it from the beginning, Owen. Yeah, 100%. And I think Don Phenomenon is something that everybody with type 1 is going to experience at some stage. So just as a quick refresher, the Don Phenomenon essentially is an early morning rise in your blood sugar. It can be when you're asleep. So it's like you're fasted while you're asleep and it's a natural way to get you up, to give you energy for the day, to start your day. And that's why if there's glucose being naturally released into your system, if you don't have type 1 diabetes, your body will counteract that automatically, naturally. Whereas if you do live with type 1 diabetes, your bloods will not regulate themselves. So from my experience with the dawn phenomenon, I've kind of gone through phases of it. So I remember I went through a phase where I would get up in the morning and I was like consistently high. And I remember I started to notice it before I had a CGM. So it was difficult to understand exactly when my bloods were rising. Because when you wear a CGM, you can see the exact pinpoint of when your blood start to rise throughout the night. Whereas if you're just finger pricking, you can go to bed in range and think, oh, I'm going to sleep through the night. I'm going to get a perfect night's sleep. But then you can wake up eight hours later and your bloods are through the roof. But you're not entirely sure as to when your blood started to spike. So when I noticed it, just while finger pricking, the first thing I had to do was ensure that my bloods weren't rising through the night from a meal that I had the night before. So if I was going to bed at 12 a.m. and I was having a big meal at 11.30 p.m., if I didn't get that bolus absolutely spot on for that meal, chances are I'm going to go high or low while I sleep. And if you go high from a big meal before you go to sleep, and you sleep through the night high, but wake up the next morning high, you're not entirely sure of, is this actually the dawn phenomenon? Or is this just because I had a meal close to bed 
and I didn't bowl his four correctly. So what I did was I ensured that I had my last meal three to four hours before I went to bed so that my food had already digested. It wasn't really going to have much more of an impact on my bloods. And I had little to no fast-acting insulin on board so that I wasn't going to see a massive shift in bloods through the night. So when I could identify the fact that this was absolutely the dawn phenomenon and not food, with a finger prick, it was pretty annoying because I used to set alarms at different points at the night or throughout the night to wake up to see when about my bloods were starting to rise. So when I did that, I knew that right at 4 a.m. they're starting to rise so I can take some insulin, go back to sleep. And then I know I'll wake up in range. But it can depend on person to person. If you are comfortable doing something like that, taking insulin and going back to bed, probably wouldn't advise it because it's safer to be higher than lower. But that's what I did from my experience. When I got a CGM, obviously opens your eyes to when your bloods are actually spiking. Gives you more confidence to know this is when my bloods are going to spike. This is when potentially I can get up to treat it and then wake up in range. But the dawn phenomenon is a tricky one because it is essentially a natural bodily response. So it can be difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly when to do it because chances are you're asleep when you rise anyway. Yeah. So if you have a pump, you can say, well, I'll adjust my basal at a specific time. But if you're on MDI, which is multiple daily injections, which is insulin pens, it's very difficult to adjust specific amounts of insulin at any time. Essentially, you can't do that unless you physically and manually inject insulin. And another point on that, dawn phenomenon is generally going to be when you're rising through your sleep into the morning, whereas foot to floor can be when you're just waking up. So I have experienced both. And what I like to do, if I see a spike with my bloods in the morning, I try to hold off on an overly heavy carb breakfast. Because if I know I'm going into my morning, my bloods are already high, if I add more carbohydrate on top of that, I know that my bloods are probably going to continue to climb. And it's going to be a lot longer for my bloods to come back down. So if I have higher bloods in the morning, exercise first thing, if possible. If not, I'll drink a lot of water. I'll try and hold off on an overly large carb breakfast and then kind of settle my bloods into the day. Okay, we're about half an hour in. Time for two quick ones. Let's do two quick ones to finish off. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to what in-between meal snacks would you recommend? So glad I found your podcast. It really helps me. Thank you for oh, that one. Thank you for that. So in-between snack zone, what are we saying? Firstly, I'm glad the podcast has helped you. I appreciate, I appreciate you listening. And so in-between meals, I am very strict on having set meals. Now, I was going, we actually went through this with, with my program on Wednesday night about how you can have kind of more structured meals at specific times or specific gaps in between meals to help benefit your bloods. So I like to have larger meals throughout the day so that each time I go into a meal, 
Essentially, I'm starting each meal with a clean slate, blood sugar wise. My food is digested from the previous meal. The insulin I've taken from the previous meal has already run its course. So it gives me more confidence going into each meal, knowing accurate carb count, discipline pre-bolus will typically keep my bloods pretty straight. But I like my food. I like to eat a lot. So if I'm eating in between meals, I will always try and opt for something that is little to no carbohydrate. Purely because I want to avoid stacking my insulin doses. Because I know that if I take one dose of insulin and then another one on top of that an hour later and another one on top of that an hour later, I know for me, I'm a lot more inclined to go lower faster. And if I'm stacking insulins on top of each other, insulin doses on top of each other, I know that I kind of get lost in terms of how much insulin I have on board, how much longer it's going to be in my system. And I know if I'm constantly stacking insulin on top of each other, it complicates my day because it's kind of getting messy. Whereas if I have a meal, three, four hours later, another meal, three, four hours later, another meal, three, four hours later, another meal, it kind of gives you a clean slate each time you go into one. And that structure suits me. But as I said, if I'm eating in between, I like to stick to something little to no carb that doesn't require little to no insulin so that I'm not stacking my doses. What's an example of that type of snack? That could be, oh, see, they're, ne- they're never overly exciting. So it could be, I love those mini peppers. You know, the, the, <laughs> the, I know, I know. I, I knew you'd laugh. <laughs> but I'm I was telling expecting you. some sort of like really like uh, unheard of sweet. That's a really oh, kind of told nice. You. Not, not overly exciting, uh, but... I eat those little packets of mini peppers like they're packets of crisps. <laughs> I think they're so nice. They're uh, unreal. You can get them from, I think it's Aldi you get them from. I, th- I think I, I know the ones you're on yeah. about. Yeah. Um, what else do I eat? And then you, carrots, l- carrot sticks. <laughs> Carrot. Uh, haven't in a while, but yeah, I wouldn't say no to them. Or else something like a, eggs or a burger or kind of h- higher protein that isn't massive that I know won't have a, a a big impact on the bloods. Now that's just my in-between meals. I'm I'm never somebody who says, you have to eat low carb to manage your bloods. I'm probably the, the opposite to that. I eat a load of carbohydrate. Like the way talking about in-between snacks and Owen's talking about burgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Right. Okay. Last one. From Gaz, how to prevent highs during a GAA match? And I'm sure that's the same as football, basketball, any sport at all. American football, GAA is just the Irish uh, equivalent of Gaelic football and hurling. So sports in general. Another good question. And something that I saw a lot of when I used to play football, because you go into a match or you go into training and it's super high intensity. If it's a big game, the adrenaline's pumping. And that in itself is going to cause your bloods to spike. And that's probably what Gary has noticed with his bloods during matches. And what I used to do was, I suppose, going back to the same idea around the dawn phenomenon and your meal before you go to bed. Sometimes you can get mixed up with, is it A, affecting my bloods, or is it B? Is it the food before bed, or is it actually the dawn phenomenon? And I was kind of question in this when I was playing football I was like well is it actually the sport itself that's spiking my bloods 
or is it the food that I'm having prior to my sport? Because if I am going into a match at, say, 3 p.m. and I have a big meal at 1.30 or 2 even, if that bolus isn't spot on for that meal, chances are I'm going to go high or low while I'm playing the football. So what I did to identify exactly how my bloods would respond to my matches was I would, again, try and go into, like I said about the meals, go into the sport with a clean slate. So I'd have my last meal three or four hours before a match so that I knew when the match came where my bloods were at. They probably weren't going to change too much with the food or the insulin that I'd taken because they both kind of run, run their course. So when I was doing that then consistently and I would go into a match, I was able to say, right, where my bloods are right now starting and then at half time or half an hour into the training or when the match is done, whatever I'm checking my bloods, if they're gone up to 10, 12, 15, 20, that's a pretty good indication that it's actually the sport or the exercise itself causing my bloods to spike. So when I was able to identify that, I kind of, I got rid of the idea of it being the food because I'd had it so far behind the game. I could say, right, I'm now consistently seeing a rise. So the rise that I'm seeing is expected. I'm anticipating it from my previous experience. So that then gave me the confidence to essentially treat a high before it happened. So sometimes if I was going into a bigger game where you know, you're know you more nervous, you're excited, the adrenaline's pumping, chances are my bloods were going to spike more. So I had more confidence from my awareness of previous experiences and examples to know that, right, I can take insulin here because I'm expecting my bloods to spike. But I could only do that confidently because of the analyzing and the, I suppose, data recording that I had done previously. I wouldn't just go into a run and take insulin because I think my bloods are going to go high. I need to base that off of previous experience. And again, that ties into my three A's of awareness, anticipation, action. Being aware of what's happening, being aware of how food is affecting you, how insulin is affecting you, how stress, how exercise these all these different things affect you then because you're aware of them you can anticipate it happening again in the future and then action is you having the confidence to say right i've spiked the last 10 times chances are i need insulin or i've dropped the last 10 times chances are i need to pull back insulin or eat more carbohydrate and I think I I did another post on this on Instagram recently of how our blood sugar is always a continuation of itself, of what we have done, what we're doing right now, and what we're going to do. And I'm always big on not reacting, anticipating. So it's like, if I see my blood sugar really high in the morning, I don't just react to that straight away and take loads of insulin. I need to look ahead an hour, two hours, three hours and see what am I doing over that time that is going to have an impact? Because if I wake up high, but I know 
first thing in the morning, I'm going for a long walk or I'm going to the gym. That in itself is going to have an impact on my bloods. So if I react too quickly to take insulin and go to the gym, I'm likely going to drop. So going back to Gary's question about preventing the highs with GAA, try to understand how you specifically are reacting to the food prior, the insulin that you're taking, and whether or not you notice a different response in your bloods with different types of training or different types of matches. Because again, from my experience, I knew that with bigger matches, there was more adrenaline, there's nerves, there's excitement. I was expecting my bloods to go that bit higher. So I had the confidence to say, right, chances are my bloods are going to spike. So essentially I was like giving myself a pre-bolus for a match. But it might be different if I'm going for a walk or a run. So keep that in mind. A, awareness. A, anticipation. A, action. Your bloods are a constant continuation of, again, what we have done, what we're doing, what we're going to do. Six questions in there, all from Instagram. I hope that the six people got what they wanted out of it. And also you listening as well, that you might have been thinking about some of those questions and uh, Owen might have answered them too. Thank you so much, everyone, getting in contact. Again, the email address is theinsulonepodcast at gmail.com if you want to send in any stories and any questions that you think would be longer that would fit in an Instagram box. But I really did enjoy doing those short and snappy ones from Instagram. Owen, I think that's definitely uh, where we will go in the future. More and more of them. And follow Owen at Insel Owen if you're not already following him on Instagram yeah as always I appreciate any questions any thoughts any experiences or stories we love getting them in and we love going through them on the podcast some of the stories specifically we've got are a mix of emotions some are funny some are sad some kind of make you angry as in what's going on in the world Um, but We love the community that the podcast is building. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate your time and your ears. And as always, have a good day. Have a good week. And look after those bloods. Chat to you later.